What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 234 of Uncovering Unexplained, Unexplained, Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, September 25th, 2021. We're just barreling through time and space on this blue rock, just uh, not knowing what's going on, not knowing what the future is, and that's all I, that's all I know. I, and I also know that my name is Josh Cannon, and my co-host name is Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Had a good day, uh, had a rare day off from both jobs today, and went to the local record shop, uh, exchanged some things, got some uh, new additions to my uh, collection of uh, physical media, and then got stuck in traffic, so I was late in terms of recording. But other than that, doing pretty good. I'm so glad I don't collect physical media anymore. Like, now that I'm out of collecting physical media, I look at, like, people who who do collect physical media and i'm just like oh my god you're gonna have so much shit to deal with if you ever have i'm to. fine whatever <laughs> yeah dude i mean it's i just, don't have to worry i don't have to worry about oh this isn't on streaming right uh, and yeah and that 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 is definitely kind of an issue and there there are even uh some music that's kind of lost to time um as far as unless you have like the physical version of it like it doesn't even really exactly exist on youtube or if it is on youtube like i know billy corgan from the smashing pumpkins he's like really guarded about his unreleased material or material that Maybe he did release, but at the time, but then later on is like, ah, I didn't really like that. I'm going to pull that. And um, so some of like uh-huh. their their EPs and stuff command like hundreds of dollars on uh, eBay because you can't listen to it any other way. And, you know, <laughs> an argument can be made if we made all music like that to where you actually had to like buy it and you couldn't share it any other way. Uh, the music industry would become... Uh, valuable again and songs and music would become valuable to people because now I feel like it has no value. It's like valueless. It's like a new song. I, I don't, yeah, new- I don't know if it's valueless. It's just the values have changed. It's not a monetary value. Right. Well, it should, tied it into should a be a lot of music. Like it should I be know a it should monetary be. value because but those artists, I that think didn't- movies are moving in the same direction too, because of the pandemic I mean, I heard a rumor that Paramount is going to just stop releasing films in theaters, possibly, and just be focusing solely on uh, their streaming platform, Paramount Plus. I mean, honestly, if you're not that big of a movie, like going, like getting dressed and going into a movie theater, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can see that making sense. But then at the same time, like, good lord, talk about like taking all the like just novelty out of going and seeing a new movie you know like i know getting dressed up getting in your car driving to a movie theater sitting in the big well, ass if you go over to a friend's house then i guess you could still technically get dressed up i don't know there's something about the experience of like having a bunch of strangers around you in this like big room with this big screen it's just it's kind of like a magical experience but at the same time it's kind of uncomfortable for me personally i don't really go to movie theaters that much for that reason because like Especially if it's like a really, like a new release or it's a really popular movie. Yeah, the, the pretty much what have. I will do. Uh, I once uh, the Hollywood opens up again, if it ever does, and starts showing thirty-five millimeter prints of classic like horror films from the eighties, then I will go back to the theater. But when it comes to the newer stuff, like 
my setup that I have at home, I, I got really nice picture quality. The sound is good enough for me. I can lay on my bed and be way more comfortable than I ever would be in a right. theater. You can pause a movie and go piss. Yeah, I can pause it. Yeah. 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 I mean, God knows I went to a shit ton of movies growing up, but now it's just, I don't know. It's kind of antiquated. The last film I saw was Bad Boys for Life, which is kind of funny because it's like For Life is in the title. And it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, doing theaters for life anymore. You know, it's just not. It's expensive, too. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's kind of the same. I do I mean, the drive-in again because the drive-in's f- pretty fun. And you support like a local business, so thankfully, as far as like the live music front is concerned, like since the music is played live right in front of you, there there is still value to be had. Oh in that. yeah, 100%. just like like theater and Broadway, like it's it's a performance. It's happening right in front of you. Yeah, with a movie, you're watching a pre-filmed thing that they're. And just- it doesn't help either that a lot of TV shows nowadays. Uh, especially like the miniseries and stuff like that, they have gotten so close to cinematic quality right. that it's hard to differentiate the two. Like the Mandalorian, that Star Wars thing, like, good lord, those were like little mini movies. Like, yeah. The cinema- there was no difference between the cinematic quality of Mandalorian and like a yeah. mainline Star Wars movie. Because back in the day, like in the eighties and nineties and even early two thousands, like you could tell when, when it comes to like a TV movie, you could tell that it's not the same, right? Or you you would have like a sitcom and it'd be like the three camera shoot where it was it it, it was lit differently, it was brighter, it was you know it was yeah. it was more of a digital had had that digital look and less of the film kind of look. Although uh-huh. Seinfeld was a show that definitely had that film. And I think there's other shows, like, uh, I, I believe uh, Malcolm in the Middle, I think, had a lot of stuff like that, because it was shot in a lot of different locations, and wasn't. I don't think it was actually shot on a set. Seinfeld, they used the Panavision uh, ca- cameras that are, like, industry standard, or they were yeah. at the time for, like, all major movies, so, like, Seinfeld did have more of a... Uh, Absolutely. Grainy kind of like cinematic quality to the uh, episodes, which is funny that they would go with that, given that if you go back and watch like Married with Children or Alf and compare it to Seinfeld or some of the other more modern sitcoms, it really is like night and day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Home Improvement, Friends, they were all shot like they all looked the same, like like as far as like the look, it was just very... Not HD, but it was very, you know, clear and crisp and bright. And Seinfeld uh-huh. had this, like, grittier look to everything. But anyway, this is a, <laughs> this is a podcast about uh, Unsolved Mysteries. And um, yet again, we man. We had a couple choice cuts. Yeah, you know, we're like, I feel like we're like miners in a mine shaft. And we thought we dug up all the, the nuggets. And then we, every now and then, we keep mining and we'll hit, like, a new pocket here and there. Yep. Um, all the major reserves have already been wheeled off to the, you know, the Fort Knox or whatever. Yeah, they've been depleted. They've been, they've been (laughs) deposited off at the SoundCloud bank. So, uh, you know, it's not as easy as it once was when we, when we would go into the mine shaft and it was ripe with all these gems that we could just, just ride at the surface, just bang that that one, bang that one, you know, now it's kind of like, it's just a big 
dirt tunnel and we're just with our little uh flashlights that were mounted to the the hard hat and the pickaxes <laughs> we're just like just swinging away wiping the sweat off our brow every now and then mike will be like i found one i found one and you know we'll go and take a look at it and be like all right it's not that big but it, it'll do you know <laughs> exactly it's only a two or three I minute think you segment found a diamond here though Josh, I really, really do. Yeah, no, I, I remember, I mean, you know, back when I first acquired all the VHS rips of Unsolved Mysteries through ways I will not disclose, I would just watch them and I didn't think about writing anything down. And this was one I had seen a couple times and um, I just uh, never wrote it down until I came across it again. I was like, write this down, you idiot. That's literally the only reason I've been finding new segments to talk about because I'm finally writing down whenever I watch the show, I'm, I'm making note of these cases instead that's that's what i've been doing too is i bookmark the case like immediately right when i see it that's how i got a recent list of stuff to cover in the future is because i was doing a little bit of an unsolved mysteries binge and, uh and i'm still going backwards so i think i'm on season 11 or 10 and i would find an episode i'd be like oh okay that 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 might be a potential uh case we could discuss yeah, and, I, uh, I do the same thing now. I got like five, nine more in the in the in the shaft. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm still digging. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a hard work now. You know, it's it's not the salad days like it used to be. You know, it's uh, the lean years. And I mean, what they're coming out with the new episodes in what summer of 2022? Yeah, what the shit is that? I mean the. Asian tsunami episode was pretty high production, and that looked like that probably was an expensive shoot. But a lot of the other ones were just like nothing. Like, yep. where, do you, where do you where do you get that from? Anyway, so the first case we'll be talking about is an older one. Um, is a case of Sheldon Weinberg, not the only sleazy douchebag that takes advantage of Medicaid and runs his frauds off it but uh one of the one bigger of the ones biggest. one of the bigger biggest or bigger bigger or biggest i don't know Since- i think they said it's it's still believed to be the greatest case of medicaid fraud in american history well there you go guess this was a, a, a diamond then in the rough um all right so uh, Sheldon Weinberg and his two sons ran a successful free clinic for the poor in Brooklyn his son Jay was the company's co-administrator. His other son Ronald helped supervise the day-to-day operations. So they show some photos here on the wikia of Sheldon, and he just looks like a guy that is, is untrustworthy to me. Doesn't he? Like he just does not look like a guy that I, I honestly would trust with my money. And then you have his uh, sons, and <laughs> that guy's got a. a Tim Burton crazy wild haircut or or uh or Johnny Depp and Edward Scissorhands. And then the other guy The other guy is like like knock off Uncle Jesse from Full House, like a poor No, man's. he actually looks like Neil Diamond. Yeah, kind of the jazz singer. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh all men like who look like uh, like Sheldon Weinberg, he's got that that old man look that you only really saw in the 80s and 90s. Like, that's what old men, like some old men, looked like. And I feel like all of their names were like Gene 
or Jack. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway. Um, so behind the scenes, they were defrauding Medicaid by submitting false billing claims, stealing $28 million Damn. Of, of 1980s money, not, not 2021 money. Woof, so you adjusted gotta, to inflation? Adjusted to inflation is probably like $60 million. Or maybe even more. Maybe That's more. a lot of money. It is believed to be the greatest case of Medicaid fraud in American history. The Weinbergs were originally in the garment business until their warehouse burned down. Gee, I wonder how that happened. Um, I think they even, uh, yeah, they were saying they even foul, mentioned like it fa- might have been suspect that yeah, it was foul arson. play may have been uh, suspected. Yeah, um, I don't think it's suspected. I, I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> Knowing their MO and, right. and, and what they stand for and the kind of bullshit that they decided to pull afterwards, yeah, they, they probably set it up. Authorities ruled the fire inconclusive. They then moved into the healthcare field, opening their clinic. They called it Bed-Stuy Healthcare Clinic. Very original name. It employed over 25 physicians and primary care for uh, Medicaid recipients. So this is just like, you know, fraud is fucked up in the first place. But when you're taking advantage of people who are on Medicaid, like, that, that is like a different level of fucked up to me. It's like, these are already people who are down on their luck usually don't really have the best uh situation when it comes to their income so they don't really have a lot of money to be giving to the medicaid uh industry to begin with and then you come in and you just raw dog them it's just really really uh uh upsetting to me to my knowledge medicaid is something that the state pays for on behalf of like someone who's indigent you know they don't have the means to pay exactly so really what they're doing is they're sticking their blood sucking teeth into the uh budget that is set aside for medicaid expenses what, by the and, state and that's still that's still taking advantage yeah, it's of still those fucked people. up because then you know you're depleting money and pocketing it that that could be used for other people who need it. Exactly. Um, it's kind of one of those like white. Collar- you might as well be stealing money from those people. Like you're right. not technically stealing money out of their pocket, but you might as well be doing that because and now you're making it so they can't get help medically when when they need it because there's nothing there. Actuaries believe the fraud began in 1978, where they coaxed wow. a physician into submitting false billings to the government. Eventually, the clinic was submitting up to $30,000 a week in fraudulent billings. A small percentage of the de- uh, defalcations, defacul- defactions? De- defalcations? I've never seen that word. Went to upgrades and clinic essentials, with most of it being used for personal gain and enjoyment of the Weinbergs. Yeah. And they, they had an interview with a guy, I think it was a cop or someone who was investigating the Weinbergs, and he was talking about how brazen they were. Like, you'd have one of the sons posing on an advertisement for their company in front of a gold Rolls Royce. <laughs> right. Talking about how their mansion has, like gold everywhere gold veined marble and yeah all that 
all that gaudy, just just eye achingly awful uh, fashion that was hot in the eighties, as far as like an yeah. opulent house back then. Yeah, like American Psycho style, you know, just lots of white, lots of uh, gold leafing and and uh, fake tree like plants and all that, and and just you know. Just completely did not age well. It was like they were, they were living the high life. Yeah, like it. It, it, it was looked hot like in something that moment. you would see on the lives of the rich and famous. Yeah. <laughs> to steal even more money, they began using a computer to bill for non-existent patients. Their profits jumped from thousands to millions. The computer program allowed for a large volume of patients to be billed to a facility and for phony medical records to be created for these patients. Yeah, so what they would do is they would use this computer program, and so what happened is they hired this guy to go to this bank, this small bank, and deposit money. They probably paid him a little bit on the side. And he eventually got busted, and then he uh, spilled his guts to the cops in order to you know get out of it and not have to go to jail, and uh, divulged all the details about the Weinberg scheme. Mike, why are you jumping so, ahead of me? Well, because it, it ties into the whole like medical records thing. Okay. Because I don't think they go like extremely uh, in, in detail later on here. So they they would go in <laughs> and they would um, check the records and they would check the records and find out that there would be like a bunch of people who were treated on days where the clinic was closed and so on they would be so treating was, like a just, four-year-old with like uh smoke like smoke like yeah smoke related problems like emphysema yeah. or something like that he, or, or he was like a pack a day smoker and he was like a four-year-old <laughs> yeah. and he's like drinking like uh, uh tons of alcohol uh and they actually it with, does, uh, it does. with gynecological problems <laughs> yeah it does mention that later, but like it doesn't necessarily kind of. I think it kind of ties in a little bit you're, better. You're than a little, little Johnny Jump the Gun, aren't you? Yeah, I'm Johnny Jump the Gun. Damn yeah, it! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. If you want, if you want the story spoiled, call in Johnny. I'll jump the gun. All right. Anyway, um, so this computer bro- cro- program it created two separate sets of records. One set contained all the medical records, including the fraudulent ones. The other contained only the legitimate records to help the, throw the doctors, accountants, and investigators off the track. Sheldon Weinberg and his sons lived large on the taxpayer's dime, using the ill-gotten payments to reside in the choicest suites in New York City, buy extravagant summer homes in Florida, acquire of a fleet of Florida classic cars. To, <laughs> Florida, has to Florida has to be involved in if there's any <laughs> sketchy like dealings going on. Florida has to be in my my the state of my birth has to be involved of course. They would acquire a classic fleet of cars and expand into high risk investments. Investors were alerted of the Weinberg scheme in 1986 when a dentist who worked at the clinic and was aware of the scheme was arrested after trying to deposit large Medicaid checks at a New Jersey bank. The dentist agreed to cooperate with them. Investigators examined the payment records from the Weinberg's clinic, and they found improbable medical statistics in the medical payments, such as patients being treated on days the clinic was uh-huh. closed, children, children, children being treated for tobacco addiction and severe alcoholism, men <laughs> treated for gynecological problems, and women being treated for prostate cancer. And also, 
they I think the IRS got involved at this point and they were talking about how they did an audit and it was like months or something like it was a long time to try to go through everything. No, oh, yeah, because they had to them. painstakingly go through each one of these records to see if it was legitimate or phony. And that's like over a decade of records. Investigators so, yeah. determined fraud when the employees' records of the clinic were found and some patients were interrogated, most claiming that they made one or two visits in the past year, not 50 or 60, like the billing statement said. It seems like they just got so uh brazen with their fraud here like it's not it's it ties into the whole uh thing where they just felt like they could get away with anything you know they're making all this money and they were flaunting it any way that they could and they had been running the scheme for so long i think they got to the point where they were like let's go bigger like they're not gonna catch us you know Uh, oh you know before we had like we we've fudged the books and made it so there's like 20 or or 30 patients you know 20 or 30 visits from this one patient when they're only there for like a couple times a year now let's make it 50 or 60 you know let's go for the moon i don't understand how like how do you if if you're doing that how do you not have the mindset of like it's not if we get caught, but when. Because that's what exactly. I would be thinking. Yeah, yeah. You would think you would like try to slow down a little bit at a certain point, not go even bigger, because <laughs> that would just draw. But they, even it seems more like they always do that, you. though. You know, like the, yeah. uh, every single case, they always they always fly too close to the sun. You know, they get too greedy, and it always fucks them up every time. So. Investigators determined fraud when the employees' records of the clinic were found and blah, 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 blah. Um, In August of 1986, the FBI closed in. In 1987, Sheldon Weinberg's son, Jay and Ronald, were arrested and charged with grand larceny and conspiracy. In November of 1988, they were convicted on all charges. Ronald was sentenced to five years in prison, while Jay was sentenced to eight years, plus additional years for tax evasion. They're probably both out. Oh yeah, and they're probably still alive. They're fairly young, you know, like well, youngish. So they're probably older now, like much older, but probably still alive. Sheldon, like the mastermind behind the whole thing, was arrested and he was convicted of the charges. However, he and his wife Rosalind Rosalind fled in January of '89 before his sentencing, and then they captured him on the night of the broadcast. When it comes to Rosalind, like they mentioned her uh, near the end of the segment, and they're like, "Oh, she." well, probably looks a lot different because of all these plastic surgeries. <laughs> like they, it's 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 like a very nice way to say that she had a lot of botched plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah. So they were just trying to be very polite about it in the typical unsolved mysteries fashion. I always feel bad for people who get plastic surgery because they 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 usually take it too far. It's like the it gets to a certain point. Especially with the fucking nose, that is like the first yeah, dead. The giveaway. lips is another thing. Yeah, lips and nose. The nose, it, it just—it's like it always. They always get to a certain point with it, and then they just get one more surgery. And it's like, well, you blew it. Now you have a plastic surgery nose. It, you can tell a mile away. I like, mean, for me, like if I had the money, I would, I would probably get a, a nose job because of the you know all the scarring and like they they didn't do the best job fixing my nose. To be perfectly honest 
So I, I would probably do something like that. I'd do something. I'd do something with my. Yeah, I'd do something with my eyes. Like. Uh, yeah. I got. I'm starting to get these like. Oh, you're getting the, like the bags you were talking about, where you look like an old man in yeah. that one photo that uh-huh. you hated. <laughs> yeah, the bags and the wrinkles and all. Like I'm starting to get that around my eyes. Everything else on my face looks fine. It's just the eyes are what what is is giving it away. I anyway. get a facelift. So get some you, Botox. You guys have learned <laughs> that me and Mike are both very shallow. Uh, you know, shallow people, surface level people. We both want plastic <laughs> surgery. Maybe that's what we can do. One of the questions someone asked is, what would we do when we first met in person is we go get plastic surgery together. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the most yeah, random together. thing. Like yeah. together in, in, the, you know, in the same they're wheeling uh, us, operating they're room. They're wheeling us into the operating room with the gir- in the gurneys and we're next to each other and we're like holding hands like while they're wheeling <laughs> us in. <laughs> it's going to be okay, buddy. I'm right. I'll be right there next to you the whole time. You're going to have a new schnoz and they're going to fix the wrinkles and bags on my eyes. <laughs> so anyway, oh, um, on the night of the broadcast, an anonymous tip uh, led FBI agents to Weinberg's apartment in Scottsdale, Arizona, where he was arrested. Oh, I've been to Scottsdale. He and his wife were using the names Mark and Anna DeVita. Anna got a DeVita, baby. <laughs> Medicaid fraud isn't what you should do. Anyway, uh, he was extradited back to New York to begin his 7 to 21 year sentence. At his sentence hearing, Judge Ruth Moskowitz heavily chastised Sheldon, which I'm sure really, really hurt his feelings very badly, over his abuse of the Medicaid system to pamper himself and his life. <laughs> Authorities have recovered less than half of the money that Sheldon and his son stole from taxpayers. Sheldon Weinberg served 16 years in prison before his release. He died in 2007 at the age of 83. Both Jay and Ronald Weinberg spent several years in prison. They have since been released. However, in August of 2009, Jay was arrested again on fraud and grand larceny charges. He allegedly stole $41,000 from three women in an investment scam. Couldn't keep his damn hands out of the money jar, right? <laughs> yeah, man. They, they, you know, cocaine's expensive. They got, <laughs> they, they got to keep that habit up. You know, they were doing. This coke. case to me seems like it would make for like a great, uh, either a short film, or maybe like a mini series if you like stretch things out a little bit. Because you have like the seventies. And they're starting their whole thing, and then you have the whole bit with them in the in their uh, garment business, and then you have the excess in the eighties, and then you have them getting caught. Yeah, I could totally see fleshing out these characters and good, the parties at the you know the upscale New York yeah. parties that they would go to, and the drugs and the women. And then you could like stretch the story and make Sheldon like this womanizer as well, even though he's married. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, baby. Don't you know how powerful I am? You'll never work in this city again. Now get, I mean, now Sheldon just looks like a guy who reminds me of actors like uh, Ben Gazzara or uh, uh, Robert Loja. Robert Very- Loja. Let me spell it out for you. R for... Wow, it's Robert Loja. O for... Oh my goodness, I can't believe it's Robert Loja. B for, by God, it's Robert Loja. <laughs> as, as some sketch on Family Guy one time. Like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, 
I thought that shit was funny. Uh, wasn't he in the? Uh, uh, you probably di- didn't see uh, the Tim and Eric billion dollar movie. Uh, he might have been in that. I think, I think he I was. Saw I think that he was one of the old- on like Cartoon Network late one night. I think he was one of the old like villain guys, but he was he was hilarious in mm-hmm. his role because he was so fucking old and. Like, they picked an overly <laughs> old guy to be the villain in that movie. Like, he was, like, dude looked like he was in his, like, late 80s, and he was supposed to be this really, like, <laughs> menacing character and shit, and, like, I don't he know. Was in, he was in uh, The Sopranos and things like that. Sheldon Weinberg yeah. looked like someone who would definitely enjoy, like, the early bird special at his favorite buffet. Like, he would probably get there, like, <laughs> earlier than, like, everyone else, and... He, yeah. looked, he would definitely play like love a, a game of like uh, nine holes of golf, you know. Probably wear a knitted cardigan. <laughs> probably one of those stupid. What did, are the stupid? Well, what are those stupid, uh, funny little golf hats? Yeah, he probably definitely ball on top. (laughs) He definitely did the uh, uh, pulling the quarter from behind the kid's ear trick. Like he definitely probably did that with kids. Like, hey, you want to see a trick? Here's a quarter. Uh, what other old man shit did this guy probably do? (laughs) He probably had one of those zitz zitz baths or whatever that you use if you have like hemorrhoids or whatever. He probably had uh, he probably had milk of magnesia in his refrigerator. <laughs> uh, def- he definitely used mothballs in his closet. Oh man, dude, I hate the smell of mothballs. My sense of smell is so shitty that I I probably wouldn't even register the smell that much. Oh, you know the smell when you smell it. They smell mm-hmm. mothballs are the epitome of old person smell. Like once I you think smell, there was like an episode of like my strange addiction where some woman would eat mothballs. If I remember correctly, I have I have run into people before whose breath smells like mothballs, and it's very disturbing. So you're like, do you suck on mothballs or something? <laughs> it's like is a piece of it lodged in the back of your throat like a tonsil that's a stone? Very, that's a very different uh, form of sucking balls, that's for sure. Oh, Mike, <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. This is a PG. Well, PG. Well, hey, Sheldon Weinberg and his kids, his sons, they, they suck balls. More, than, more ways than one. That... <laughs> What? What? But why? What? why? Why do they suck balls? I because they... they're the, you know you know when they have the whole thing where you like suck it you know something somebody sucks that's usually like the the tie into things. I got nothing. I got nothing for that that comment. <laughs> I really I got nothing. That that I'm, I'm surprised that that you you've never heard that term before. No, I have heard it, but it, it just it, there's absolutely no context here. There's no, nothing about balls in the story. I mean, we no. were we were talking about mothballs, but then it exactly, into... I tried to tie it in. That's why. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, that was. We're gonna have to put some duct tape over that one to try to make that statement <laughs> try to blend in somehow. A lot of duct tape. Maybe I can magically edit that sentence together <laughs> to where I can make it funny. But uh, as it stands, I don't know. So yeah, there are. Uh... That, you know, the thing that pisses me off is, like, this is a, what's considered a white-collar c- crime because I think, as the detective said in the segment, 
You know, even though they didn't pull a gun out and stick it to someone's back, they might as well have. Exactly. And the thing is, is like, if you go into a gas station with a gun, even if it's fake, even if it's not loaded, and you steal $200 out of the register, you're going to go to jail for 20 years. But you defraud New York City's Medicaid system out of millions of dollars and you get seven fucking years. Tell me how that's equivalent. It isn't. It isn't. Now, it's one thing if the gun was loaded or that, you know, because absolutely when you bring violence into it and you're actually physically threatening someone, yes, you, sh- you are a danger to society. Uh, but I guess they look at these people and they're like, they would never have physically harmed anybody, but they are leeching off the system in a very backdoor kind of way, so they're still a danger to society. But maybe not as much of a physical danger as someone who's willing to put a gun in your face. I don't know what the logic is behind any of that, quite frankly. I don't either. All right, that's all I got to say about that case. Moving on, this is uh, Mike's pick. Jessica, who is not so peachy keen. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Well, at least not anymore. No, not anymore. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your currently scheduled programming, but since Eggman insists that all I do is promote my band, I'm going to do just that. Here's some songs, a uh, little taste, little clips from uh, some of our more favorite tracks from my band Dancing with Ghosts. And if you want to hear more, Head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, if that's still a thing, uh, YouTube, everywhere, and uh, listen to more. Now we have the case of Jessica Keene. And uh, I picked this case because I felt like the reenactment, especially in the beginning, was pretty harrowing. And it's a tragic case. And it's one that stands out in terms of how close she possibly might have been to surviving. Yeah. And then just wound up uh, six feet under. So, on March 16th of 1991, a Madison County, Ohio teenager was abducted and raped. Her clothes had been torn off, but somehow she escaped into a cemetery only to end up hiding behind tombstones. And for a Lifetime reenactment, because this is from the Lifetime era, I thought it was pretty creepy. I thought it was pretty well shot for the most part. It didn't have the same kind of vibe as early Unsolved Mysteries, but they still shot it at night and definitely made more of an effort to try to make it more moody and atmospheric. And I'm, I just think that's just a terrifying scenario. It, it's like something ripped straight out of a horror film. 
you know, where the killer is going after the final girl and or yeah. or the the victim and they hide in the cemetery. Yeah, and I mean apparently, you know, like from all the evidence at the scene, that's exactly how it happened. It was like literally straight out of like a horror film. Yeah. So she attempted to flee the graveyard, but in the pitch black darkness, she smacked into a fence Oof, post. God. And once her assailants caught up with her, they struck her in the face of the blunt object and left her to die. Brutal. Just absolutely brutal uh, murder. Her name was uh, Jessica Lynn Keene, and she was only 15 years old. Later, investigators were able to pinpoint Jessica's final moments based on clues in and around the crime scene. There was mud on the fence, a sock that belonged to her, and an impression of her knee in the ground. But the police didn't have a clue why anyone wanted to kill her. The gruesome murder of Jessica Lynn Keene has baffled local and state detectives for years. Jessica had been a popular cheerleader, an honor student, and a talented performer. According to her mother, Rebecca, Jessica had many goals and dreams. This is her mother quoted here. Jessica, idealistically, would have loved to have been a singer or an actress. I guess realistically, Jessica loved animals and wanted to go to college to be a zoologist. I find that interesting that she talks about how her daughter would have uh, idealistically wanted to be this or that and then went in with realistically. Because yeah. that's something you rarely ever see in these kind of interviews. Well, Normally well, they talk about like the idealistic thing. Uh-huh. Or they just talk about the realistic option. They don't throw in both. Well, they want to they want to make I think and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but it's almost like no. they, they want to make their kids seem like they were bound for greatness had they not died. Yeah. I, I could and and I understand that. A lot of people feel that way about their kids even if they're still around and they're still alive so in high school jessica's life began to have its ups and downs it had to do with being a teenager and meeting her first love 18 year old sean thompson jessica's relationship with sean was new and exciting but according to her mother the romance began to distract jessica from her schoolwork. i had forbidden her to see sean i said you can't see him until your grades come up yeah that's not gonna work <laughs> At that point, when you have a teenager, you can't tell them not to do things anymore. You can't, unless you're going to lock them behind bars, you know, behind barred windows. You know, there's really, there's really no way to to stop them. Uh, yeah, there is. When they're only 15, you can take away their cell phone. You can. No, that's what I said. You can, but they'll find a way. Uh, I mean, I, you know, that whole Casey in the Josh Flower Diaries, her mom was pretty damn effective at keeping her away from me um, yeah. to where she finally just had to, like, give up and, you know, we stopped talking or whatever. It depends on the person because there's a lot of teens that would they would just figure it out. They'd find a way. So and as far as her going to college, she knew she'd have to keep a good grade average in order to get a scholarship. And her grades started dropping. She had skipped school a couple times to be with Sean. And of course, she was threatening, I don't want to live with you anymore, but I knew I had to do something. Arguments between Jessica and her mother escalated. They both knew they needed a cooling off period. Mother and daughter mutually decided that Jessica should spend two weeks at a local live-in counseling center for teenagers. On March 15th, the day before she was to move back home, just hours before she died, Jessica spoke to Sean. According to Special Agent Greg Costas of the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, 
Jessica became upset. Jessica and Sean ended up getting into an argument that day on the telephone, at which point they broke up. Numerous people witnessed this telephone call and said that Jessica was very visibly upset. After the call, Jessica told a friend that she was going to the mall. She was last seen at a bus stop near the counseling center at 6 o'clock p.m. It was there that Special Agent Costas suspected that Jessica was abducted. There is a chance that maybe it was somebody who Jessica kind of knew, maybe wasn't really good friends with, but familiar enough with them to trust them enough to get into the car, not knowing what would ultimately happen. Now, my theory is... And this is without even looking at the update, that it was a random throw kill. That it was just another one of those, like, somebody just picked her up and raped her and killed her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. Um, that happens a lot on these shows. I really... Way too often. I, I really wish that these young ladies would stop, like, just sitting at a lonely bus station by themselves. <laughs> Or or on like waiting to get a ride or something. It just seems like that never turns out well ever. I'm like forever paranoid now. Yeah, at the thought of like I remember Stephanie was leaving my house one night and she was like, Yeah, I get to go to this really sketchy gas station now and I have to get out of my car and go in because I don't have a, a card. So I let her borrow my credit card. So I was like, no, stay by your car. And, you know, because like that's how much I didn't want her yeah. to like put herself in that situation. So uh, Jessica, Jessica's body was ultimately found 42 hours later, 20 miles from the bus stop. Uh, there's an unfortunate typo on unsolved.com. They call it a bus stop. But, you know, it's what it is. What? Investigators believed, yeah, they just, they, they uh, put a T after bus. It's a bust oh, a bu- stop. Bust. bust stop. Okay. That's quite different. Investigators believe that after Jessica was abducted, she was held captive for at least six hours based on a semen sample. Special Agent Costas believed that she was raped between two and four hours before her escape from the car. I don't think she had any idea at the time that she was actually climbing into a cemetery to hide. But at that point, that that was her only means of for getting away from whoever was chasing her. This is the area where the crime scene investigators found one of Jessica's socks. She obviously lost it while she was running. So yeah, she got out of the car. So it's one of those instances where they actually did have a chance. It wasn't one of those things where they're tied up, chained up, no chance of escape. Uh, no hope. That's what makes it even more tragic is that there was that hope. There you was know, that, that hope that she could have she could have potentially gotten to that farmhouse, but there was that yeah. stupid wooden post, that yeah. fence, and it was you know probably pitch dark. Yeah, you exactly. You don't see it, and you know she's probably running for her life, so yeah. she slams into it at a high speed. Sucks. Knocks her out. So, uh, she lost the sock while she was running, and also, according to Special Agent Costas, the sock that was found matched the one that remained on her foot. We do know that she hid behind this headstone. That was based on the crime scene investigators who found her knee print in the soft ground behind the headstone. We are pretty certain that Jessica saw the light from the farmhouse, and that's what she turned to run for when she collided with the fence posts in the back of the cemetery. 
because it's so dark out here at night, she was not able to see the fence back here and collided with this fence post. When she collided with the fence post, she knocked herself down. At that point, her assailants were able to catch up with her. This is the spot where she was ultimately killed. I've never been so passionate about anything that I've worked on in my life. The thought of this young girl, 15 years old, who had such a bright future, being murdered in such a horrible, horrible fashion, you cannot help but want to do everything humanly possible to find out who did this. And I thought that was a nice touch to have the investigator go to the scene of the crime and show uh, where she uh, initially got knocked out to show where the knee print would have been. Yeah, the, I think it, the it knee was, print was still there. So sheriffs in Madison County turned their attention to Jessica's boyfriend, but Sean Thompson wasn't in Columbus. He had left for Florida with some friends. According to Sheriff Stephen Saltzman, Sean and his friends were eventually returned to Ohio. Sean was questioned. Uh, the friends that gone, had gone with him were also questioned. And through the questioning, examination of physical evidence, we all but eliminated the boyfriend and the friends. DNA evidence from the semen sample did not match Sean or the others. The group was cleared of any wrongdoing. But for investigators, an entire week had been lost. The trail of actual killer or killers had grown cold. Still, Jessica's death never stopped haunting her mother. What they did to her, the fear that Jessica felt she would do anything to get away. I could feel her heartbeat running through the cemetery. I could feel the deep breathing she was probably doing when she knelt behind the tombstone. I could hear her praying. I realized that that, that was the worst thing that I believe anyone could go through. Yeah, so I agree. Yeah, it was really awful. But the case has actually been solved. Uh, 17 years after Jessica's murder, Marvin Lee Smith was arrested for abduction, rape, and murder in April of 2008 after his DNA was matched to evidence recovered from her body. He had been charged with the, the assaults against two Columbus women and was out on bond when he was killed. I mean, when she was killed. I wish he was killed. That would have been better. <laughs> Just switch things up. He dies. She lives. If only. If only, exactly. He was eventually convicted uh, for these attacks uh, and served nine years in prison. Just nine years. Why? Uh, since mean, he was a felon, he had to submit his DNA, which led to the match. Uh, but Smith subsequently confessed to Jessica's murder, and that increased his sentence, thankfully. Uh, and he also confirmed that he was the only person responsible. Disturbingly, he revealed that he had used a 70-pound tombstone to strike her over the head. Oh, God. The force of the blow caused it to break in two. In February of 2009, he pled guilty to aggravated murder, kidnapping, and rape, and was sentenced to life in prison and will not be eligible for parole until 2038. Good. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, shit that heinous. I mean... Sometimes the death you get the death penalty for the shit that he pulled. The killing blow was with a tombstone. Right. It's it's egregious. How morbid. It just uh So fuck that guy. <laughs> so he did not they he did not know this this person. No. Yeah. Random random attack. That's how it happens. Most of the time well, actually they say most of the time there's a, a homicide, it's someone that the person they knew. Know. Yeah. But sometimes it's not. Exactly. 
And that's what so makes it so hard. I don't know so what hard. else to say about that case. That's what makes I'm it glad so... the guy got caught. I was going to say that's what makes it so hard to catch them when it's a random killing. If Mike would let me get a word in edgewise. Makes it so hard for uh, me to talk. You to talk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got some uh, some Q&A here from the uh, the fan group on Facebook. If you want to join, you can uh, submit questions that we'll answer. You can do that by going to Facebook and typing in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Go to the Groups tab, and you'll see our little logo there, and just ask to join, and boom, you're in. Boom! You're in. Uh, our first question comes from Vikram. Uh, I'll just say their first names. And he asks, uh, what's the one segment of Unsolved Mysteries that could give you nightmares? Also, would you consider doing watch-along episode commentary? And we tried to do a watch-along thing with uh, sightings. <laughs> that was bad. And it was an that abortion. Was really bad. That was... Once we finally got it up and running, it was good. But then the other problem that we ran into was like we didn't really promote it and then i think we did it like really late at night yeah 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 so there was like maybe one or two people maybe i just don't know how to do it i don't know the proper like where do we do we yeah do it on i don't twitch? know either is that like facebook? a twitch thing I don't know. I don't, yeah facebook I, I mean vikram if you know how any uh the, on the techie side if you know how to do that uh dm me and uh because that would be fun for us to do at some point We'd have to fit it into our schedules, though. Which yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully we can, you know, at least let people know like a couple days yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. As far as any uh, segments that gave me like nightmares or freaked me out uh, growing up, I would say the Resurrection Mary uh, segment specifically when they show her face and it's just a black void. Uh, that that always fucked with me and pretty much any UFO segment. Yeah, I don't know about ones that would give me nightmares. I think I think the ones that normally stuck with me were not the alien or ghost ones because I, at that point in time when I was watching Unsolved Mysteries as a kid, like I was reading about UFOs and ghosts all the time. So like I I it just was something that I guess had kind of been normalized for me and I was desensitized to ghosts and UFOs and alien abductions. I would say the ones that probably gave me nightmares were the ones that were, you know, murders or missing persons, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, See, I, I had more of a fanciful brain, so I was more afraid of, like, existential threats like UFOs and ghosts. Yeah. I, I was less afraid of, like, actual real threats. Like I, w- I was more afraid of, like, people breaking into my house at night and, you know, killing me and my family. Like, that. that's... that. that <laughs> or I'm out by myself going to the ATM late one night and some guy fucking grabs me with a gun and kidnaps me, takes my money now I, and leaves me from, leaves me for dead somewhere. Growing like up, that. we, we <laughs> like, we lived out in the middle of nowhere, kind of in the country and we were surrounded by woods. Not to say that there aren't psychos that like make their way through woods and break into people's houses, but my dad was so paranoid in general, like, uh, we had dogs inside, so if anyone yeah. if anyone tried to, like, do anything, the dogs would start going crazy, I mean, my dad would instantly wake up, 
uh, towards the last few years of his life, he had his gun by the side of his yeah. chair. Um, so I felt pretty safe, you know, from all the real threats of murder and all that, like in the house that I grew up in. Now that's more of a fear for me because I live on my own and, you know. You've already ran into some sketchy people during in, the in day. Yeah, no one. So <laughs> thankfully, no one ever tried to, no one's tried to fuck with me. I, I have lights, you know, on the side of my house and the front of my house, and I have security cameras and shit. So hopefully that's enough to deter yeah. anyone from like trying to break in. The whole in. thing you're talking about with your dad, like that reminds me of my dad when I was staying with him for a little bit in his place in Michigan, because there's a lot of woods over there too. And he was also, he's paranoid. He still is, you know, they'd hear something or whatever grab his gun, go outside, you know. The woods at night is a fucking scary place to be. That's why the Blair Witch Project is so effective in a lot of ways, that film. It's yeah. because it really does uh, emphasize and, and effectively recreate that vibe, that really unsettling vibe of, of being just trapped in the woods. I think it's because it's like you have all these kind of vertical spheres coming up all around you these vertical like wooden sticks almost and they all almost have this human like you know feel to them like they're like you know you, you it's it'd be easy to mistake a a, a weird for, like a weird tree formation for a person or something i think in the uh-huh. woods uh-huh the shadows is is what what does it for me with trees like when I'm walking at at night, you just see like the shadow of the tree. Ooh, I'm getting asphalt. goosebumps and my nipples are getting hard. <laughs> All right. So next question: is, Are we going to switch off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We switch off. Go for it. Uh, this is from Robert. Uh, he said, uh, "Did you watch the Circleville letter segment in 48 hours?" He says he thought it was average and it left out a lot for an hour show. He liked the UM segment more. Uh. I haven't seen it. Have you? Because it seems like something that you might have seen because it's 48 hours. No, I haven't. Uh, I'd have to know like what season that was on and all that. They 48 hours, man. They've put out so much content over the years. Um, I it, enjoyed the Circleville Unsolved Mysteries segment, though. I will say that. Yeah, that was like, a great segment. I thought it was really good. Um, I like how they basically railroaded that poor bastard into... Oh, yeah. um, you know, it was one of those things where they needed, they needed a, a, a offender. They needed the perpetrator, and they just pulled something out of their ass to get this guy to write. You know, dictate how the killer dictated, and I think they even told him to try to write it like he saw on the letter, and they basically just kind of. I don't know. Like, and the guy thought he was innocent the whole time, so he was completely cooperating with the police. He was showing them his gun, and somehow the gun ended up somewhere else. And I don't know. It was kind of one of those things where it's like, well, if you didn't do it, who did? And then, of course, the guy goes to jail, and he's still getting letters from this fucking guy, the real Circleville letter person. He's getting letters from this guy while he's in jail, you know, and and the state still doesn't care. They're like, I don't care. You're still guilty. (laughs) And um, yeah, I mean, 
and, and and the whoever the Circleville letter writer was, like, how did he know all this information? How did the guy uh, when he got the guy who got the phone call um, and he he got in his truck and he drove out in a rage to to come after this guy, the the writer of the letters, and then the cops find the guy dead in his in his truck with one shot fired from his gun and he was like crashed into a tree. Just a lot of creepy shit with that case. All right, the next question is from Richard. What is the funniest segment you have seen on Unsolved Mysteries and have you heard from Eggman lately? I have not heard from Eggman since I banned his ass from the group. Thankfully, uh, he was a jerk off. I don't know why he joined our group. If if he I hate, he hated us so much, I guess he joined just so he could like bash me. It's like some of the people that are subscribed to me. And then on my YouTube channel and then come out and talk shit. They just hate watch. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as the funniest segment, uh, it's got to be Storm in Hell. Uh, when yeah, that, that's one that I was thinking of, or the angel one. Yeah, when when the guy goes to France and his like, appendix bursts and he's in the hospital and, and he's an atheist, but then he has like this weird... You're garbage! He has this weird... like. <laughs> It wasn't a dream. It was like some kind of uh, out of body experience, and he's like walking down the hallway of the hospital, and all these other people are following him, and then it leads into this like high school gymnasium, which I'm sure the show didn't want it to look like a high school gymnasium, but I guess that's the only location they could find at the time because I'm sure they had to churn these th- segments out quickly. And then they had, you know, it, you had it all there. You had the made-for-TV PG level of, like, insulting someone. You're garbage. You're trash. <laughs> you know, no, 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 like, you piece of shit motherfucker burning hell. Eat your grandmother's it, cunt. You know, none of that. Yeah. It, was, it was all, you're trash. You're a maroon. You know, like, just like <laughs> your the most. Your mother so sucks that smell. <laughs> And then, of course, he, he goes into the bubble, the CGI bubble. Oh, and my he, God. And, and he, the sees the little, me. he sees the little vignette of himself as a child. And the child actor just in this, <laughs> oh this nails God. on a chalkboard voice going, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I'm just like, in, I'm just in tears at that point because I'm like, oh, my God, this is so bad. Yeah, that angel one you're talking about, where the Hispanic woman is getting hit by the truck, and she's like, "There was so much anger in this man's face as he drove towards me, and then all of a sudden I see this beautiful person in front of me <laughs> with his beautiful eyes, and he's just just smiling, and I felt so good, and blah blah blah, and and it sh- like actually shows yeah. like they they attempted to like make this." guy that like yeah looks like a fucking goober <laughs> but even like like the cgi and the way they animated it and yeah. all it's like they, they did the best they could to make that a yeah. reality but it, it ended up looking like just i would say cheesy. fertility statues and you know that stuff like that I, was i wouldn't even consider that funny that, that was just more like a waste of my I time i laughed at the chocolate guy I oh, did crack yeah. up with that guy. Yeah, cho- the, the cho- aphrodisiacs. aphrodisiacs. Yeah, yeah, fucking uh, Sylvester Stallone wannabe meathead. <laughs> oh, let's just um, say, uh, you know, uh, I didn't have a problem after eating them chocolates. Uh, <laughs> slipping her the pepperoni, if you know what I mean. Giving her the old salami. Um, 
uh, uh, the other ones I could think of, like, I did crack up at, you know, look at it, Omar. Oh, you know, that, yeah. That was funny. Yes, look at it. Look at it. Burn. I'm sending you to hell. You didn't think I'd do it. You didn't think I'd do it. But I did it. That's exactly how he talked in the in the exactly. episode. That's exactly how he sounded. And then there's this one. Um, it, I, I forgot the case, but it was this guy. It was just this one part of the segment that always cracks me up. It, it, he murdered somebody. He then went on the run. Uh, the segment tries to say that maybe someone that he knew came across him later. And he's like wearing a trench coat and he's got like a beard and just the way that the, the whole acting was from the guy when he was cornered and he was caught was just oh in hilarious. the bathroom and then he like makes a run yeah. for it yeah. yes yes I for, yeah I forget which one that was that was hilarious then you got the uh, the UFO healer uh, yeah the, I was gonna mention that one too. the mini UFO that floats <laughs> into the woman's window the literally batteries not included <laughs> too <laughs> literally it's a miniature UFO in one of the segments and this woman she like. Goes into some trance and she falls asleep in this miniature baby UFO, like the so- that could fit in the palm of your hand, just f- like floats in through her room and like <laughs> like does some kind of tractor beam on her ass and then flies out and then she's healed of cancer like when she wakes up. Yeah. Um, oh, and then we can't forget the the uh, constipated ghost. You know, there's that one. Remember. Oh, you talking about the uh, devil's backbone? <laughs> yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that was such a weird. Uh, that was such a weird jump cut. You know, like they're trying to they're trying to do like a jump scare, but like, and they do the sting and everything, but it's just like like it, it sounded like <laughs> the guy looked like Raiden from Mortal Kombat, and he sounded like fucking one of the street fighters when they get when they their dying sound on street uh, fighter game like uh, yeah that was pretty bad uh, all right let's move on <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of juice we got out of that one exactly um the next one is from jordan not gonna, uh, not gonna lie i got a crush on this chick man if she lived in jacks i'd holla she's she's a cutie so she says, uh, if you could copycat one of the murders on UM, which would it be and why? Um, I wouldn't copycat any of the murders. I thought this I'd... was a uh, a sick and twisted question, and that's what makes yeah. me like her that much more. Because it's like... I, I, I wouldn't copycat any of the murders because I'm not going to kill anyone. Uh, what I would copycat from UM, though, if I could, is to be one of those mysterious, long-lost heirs of a fortune. That's what I would copycat. All right, well, that was Mike's boring answer. I'm going to actually play along, and I would probably copycat either the uh, televangelist bomber who sent bombs to Pat Roberts and Joel Osteen's family, because fuck those people. Um, And I just like bombs in general, or I would copycat the Unabomber, again, because I like bombs and blowing shit up. Uh, or I'm glad you don't know how to make a bomb. <laughs> I don't, but I do know how to make napalm. But and I think I even said on here how to do it one time. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, the, yeah, the only thing that would bug me is the uh, actually killing 
people <laughs> part about it. <laughs> like the bomb part is great, but like them actually like dying from like my hand uh, that would would really bother me a lot. But that's what I would do if I were to uh, do that because. Um, because, you know, you get to build the bomb and it's fun and then you get to like, it's impersonal. Like, I don't have to be over them stabbing. I don't have to be right in front of them as I shoot them. I can be very far away and you just hear kaboom and it's like, well, they just had a really crappy day. So, yeah, that's my answer. I guess maybe if I thought about it some more, you know, because there are ones that you have like a criminal or somebody who is shady you know and they wind up getting killed and there's like a mystery about like oh this mobster you know he died we don't know where he is we can't we can't find his body like i copycat that murder because that guy's a piece of shit i'm glad you didn't say so. uh b- <laughs> like black dahlia like you would drain all the blood from her and oh, like, no. like cut no her way. into pieces <laughs> no i wouldn't do that or the That's butcher sick. of kingsbury run or whatever that, those are those are really bad how about i butcher the butcher of kingsbury run how about that <laughs> dude you know what's sick is when i read this question and i i, th- I thought back to uh casey and how much i liked her and her parents and everything at first i thought about like rick's rampage oh my god oh, yeah but i was like no 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 <laughs> no i know i don't want to like go in there and <laughs> stab fuck? her fucking mom and dad and shit like fuck <laughs> Jesus now Casey, Christ. now Casey can like literally never listen hear this podcast. Like, <laughs> but on oh, the record, God, I'm damn. saying I would not and do not. But that was just you know your mind, you know Freudian slip. Your mind just kind of goes to the first kind of thing or whatever. So, all right, let's just move right right beyond that one there. <laughs> uh, Dana Black, I'm guessing is uh, how you say it. Oh, she's a uh, new Dinah? member. Dinah. Uh, she's a new member, so welcome. What are your top five favorite UM segments? I know you're a new member because uh, that question's been asked a lot, but that's okay. Uh, I've already pre-thought about mine, so I'll go first. Um, this is in no particular order, by the way. Uh, the, they they were just the first ones that came to my mind. Uh, favorite se- five favorite segments? I would say the Whackers, the old couple who were that's a good one. Supposedly harassed anonymously for years and years, and the wife was like hit and was t- found tied up and their shit was stolen and the family s- staked out their house and nothing happened. And then as soon as they stopped the stakeout, then like the, the light got smashed. And honestly, I think they did it to themselves. Speaking of someone who did shit to themselves, which is another one of my favorite segments is the Cindy James case. Yeah, that's that was one that I was thinking of because that's a really good segment. Yep, uh, that's my second one. The Allagash abductions, even though the cases become more dubious now with some other kind of stuff that's uh-huh. come out, <clears throat> it's just it's still one of my favorite segments of all time from that show. Um, number four would be the Dale. Liz Carmichael. That's a good one. Uh, that is definitely one of Did my. Did you favorite. ever see that documentary? I didn't. I didn't see that yet. No, I haven't. The seen documentary it. about the miniseries or whatever about the Dale. No, I haven't I, seen I it. I actually forgot about that. I should probably check that out sometime. That when when I when when I was in the Unsolved Mysteries wasteland it, from like 2008 to like what whenever I met Mike and he hooked me up. Um, uh huh. The Dale was like 
the Dale and the log, ca- log cabin fraud were like the two segments that I wanted to rewatch so bad. Uh, so that uh, the one with the trucker too was the other one. Yes, trucker who gets yeah. lost in the woods. Yeah, that one. That one too. I forget his name off the top of my head, but that was that was a good one. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to pick five. And then my my final one is the uh, Roswell Area 51 uh, connection. Uh, they're two separate segments technically, but there was. Uh, I think an episode where they ran the two together um, is, is definitely, um, uh-huh. especially the Area 51 segment where the the Glenn Dennis actually goes to the uh, military installment and he sees the debris and he, you know, has the encounter with the nurse and the actress. I love her portrayal of being so emotional over seeing these dissected alien bodies and uh, mm-hmm. how she was, you know, allegedly carted away to another country and her plane crashed, you know, because she talked, so they they had to take her out. So those are my five. What what do you got, Mike? So I got uh, some repeats, Cindy James, Allagash, um, some other ones that are on the top of my, off the top of my head, Rick's Rampage. I, I, I like that segment yeah, that's because what... of the way that it's shot and, and, the way that uh, the score is incorporated. I really like the ATV robbers, the underground ATV robbers. I, I think that's a, just a really crazy, cool uh, robbery segment. Um, and I, I honestly really like the Son of Sam ones, even though it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like suspect in terms of some of the theories or whatever but it's got some really great atmosphere and mood and it's creepy with like the whole cult aspect of it i think i think so, I, I, that's one that's one i will say I, I never cared for i think you always liked that one more than i did and it's cool you know uh I, and i think there's a recent uh documentary that talks about more of that i think the cult sort of stuff um there's there's quite a few, uh, but that's just off the top of my head. I mean, I, I do remember liking, it was a very early segment. It's that one with the kid who was like into D&D and then like was Kurt, found Kurt dead. McFall. Kurt McFall. I like that one too. Yeah, that was pretty good. See, you got you got good ones, but they're so short that it's like hard to really compare it to the ones that are longer and good because you just get so much more juice out of it. Orange um, Sock Murders, that's another one. And then there's that one, that other guy, that older guy, who I think he went, like he was driving cross country or something in his car, and then he his body was found in like, a, I think it was like a junkyard or, or something like that. Yeah, that, that was that was another good one. Uh, is that the one where, uh, where it had that weird message in the bathroom? Maybe. I think it might have been, yeah. Because then there was the, there was the Canadian guy that Morgan's obsessed with. That for certain, for God knows what reason, he went from Canada and he ended up in like Tennessee, like uh-huh. with his pants down in the parking lot with all this like Deutschmarks, Canadian dollars, American dollars scattered all around, and no one knows what. Oh, and speaking of you know the kind of like no one knows what happens, like the one. Uh... The guy who worked for the government and then was found in the hotel room, yeah, like suicide uh-huh. by electrocution or something. There's a lot of good like government that, ones. Yeah. I think I have a government one in my phone here that I was gonna 
suggest. Let me see. Um, oh yeah, Jeffrey Sullivan. Uh, this this guy, I definitely we definitely are going to want to cover him soon. Oh, okay. He had right, some. Cool. Uh, he he. It's one of those things where people are like the government, but like legit the government. Um, well, yeah, like the guy who was found in the hotel room. Like, there's no way that he killed himself that way. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on. The octopus. <laughs> that there's that other oh, one yeah, too. Then the you, octopus. Yeah. Then you got Dale. Uh, or was it his name? Um, fucking guy that Don Devereaux was on. Yeah. The uh, that that the yeah. one with the five dollar bill. That's another good. You know the there's, mysterious dude, five dollar bill. There's so many. There's just yeah. there's so fucking many. It's a great show. That's one I definitely would say is one of my favorites. The one where the guy wrote on. You know, he his that, that voice was, Chuck was he lost his voice. Chuck Morgan. Yeah, Chuck Morgan. That was a great segment. Really good. All right, read, read the next one, Mike. Uh, the next one, I don't know. It just says it's from John, and he just says craft work. I don't. I, uh, I, I hell's to the yes, John. I love me some craft work. Um, is, that, is that a band? I is think is one of the first electronic groups ever. They uh, they helped start. Okay. Electronic music. Uh, some of my favorite I albums think they by were them. Parodied with like that whole thing with Sprockets with Mike Myers on SNL. Uh, it's just that was, was just kind of like German uh, culture, uh, like as far as like oh, okay the scene, like the electronic music scene in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kraftwerk was definitely a part of that. Very serious, very you know the very stone faced, like you know you know very high fashion. Wearing a lot of black, uh, but now Kraftwerk, Computer World, great album. Uh, the uh, the Man Machine, great album. Trans Europe Express, great album. All I mean, they they haven't put out anything bad really. Their first two albums were kind of weird, but they were still in their experimental phase. All right, this is from Robin Lewis. Oh, oops, said his last name. Oh well, I'm sure he doesn't care. <laughs> He's our fan down under. And fun fact, because I do my random, hey, let's jump on a live stream together things. Uh, he's one of the only people who ever jumps on because he's actually awake when I'm uh, wanting to talk to people. He says, Josh, or would Josh and Mike consider in doing segments from non-Unsolved Mystery shows? Yeah, we've done that many, many times already. We've covered documentaries. We've on documentaries, we've, miniseries. Yeah, I mean, we've. Yeah, there's, I mean, hell, dude, we covered Snowtown, didn't we? Which was a DVD yeah. that he sent us. So, yeah. I mean, come on, Robin, you knew the answer to that. <laughs> uh, I think he really does want us to cover segments from this okay. Australian TV show, The Extraordinary, which I think he sent us episodes to. Then he goes on, how is Mike's toe? How is your- uh, it's fine. It's been fine for a long time. Uh, I haven't had any issues with it at all. And no, his possum, Josh's possum hasn't messed with it has josh's <laughs> possum chopped it off yet and slow roast it and juice it with rosemary and thyme over a campfire with a little yet uh no i don't think that's happened nope i think uh josh would know if his possum was missing right yeah he's possum been kind of quiet She's, she or he or whatever has been kind of quiet lately but you still hear i mean at this point, I don't think it's one singular possum. I think it's like this long lineage of possums that what, have lived. What is more tolerable to you, this possum or a like massive fucking spider? Because I'm talking about that because 
I haven't seen any possums or anything. I don't think there's any possums around here. But I've been seeing more spiders. And a couple of nights ago, like at the corner of my room, like next to one of my video shelves and like Olympus's food and water bowls, like there's a big ass fucking spider. I'm talking like at, like the size of like half my hand. Like if I if that if that thing was in my hand, it might be the size of my hand because I have very small hands. It was your hands are small, you know, but they're (laughs) not yours. They are my own. I said, Uh, no, I I don't mean I'm not talking giant spiders like a fucking banana spider. But like I have small spiders in several corners of my house and they're very helpful in killing ants and other insects. Yeah, Yeah, but this thing was massive. Some spiders don't even don't weave webs. So they're kind of useless because they're just going to bite you. The ones that we like. Yeah, I think that was one of them. Because yeah. it's too big, and so I vacuumed. I took I took out the vacuum and sucked it up. Yeah, so. if they make webs, then I let them stay because they're only going to stay in that web. Yeah. They're not going to move. They're going to stay in that web, and they're literally yeah. going to just collect bugs all day. I had an uh-huh. ant problem in here until the spiders moved in, and now I do not have an ant problem. And you'll find dead ant bodies in all these corners of my house, and one very happy spider. <laughs> all right, you get the next one. So uh, this is from KT. Uh, she says, uh, I-, "I hope I'm not too late. You're not. Uh, if you and Mike ever meet up in person, what would be the first thing you do together besides each other? Lols. <laughs> uh, well, we already talked about this earlier in the podcast. We would go get plastic <laughs> surgery together. No, it would probably be something like really just uh, benign." Like we go get something to eat, probably or probably. something. And- something to eat. Um, if you're in Jacksonville, I would take you to what? What place? Um, oh, I'd take you to Chamblin Bookmine uptown, oh, cool. or the one off of uh, yeah. Roosevelt. Uh, it's a huge. It's like a book mine. It's like a mine of books, but they also have <laughs> a, a lot of DVDs and movies oh, and awesome. shit, cool. um, and CDs as well. Um, nice. And then after that, I'd, uh, I don't know, I'd show you like probably the Museum of Science and History or the contemporary uh-huh. Museum of Contemporary Art. I mean, um, I might because there, there is a there is a music a museum in, in Seattle. So I think it'd be fun to do. I've always thought it'd be fun to go on a road trip to Seattle with. Uh, a yeah, I'd, I'd love to go to Seattle and check out where all the grunge music started and all that. Yeah, um, so that's probably what what I would do with with josh if uh if he did come on then i would take mike here. to eclipse the bar that i like going to and i would try to get him drunk <laughs> and which pie would take all of two beers for him to get shit oh yeah oh for sure for sure yeah <laughs> and then i would take advantage of him at that point well i would hope not <laughs> well that, that you know that's always the hope but <laughs> things happen um i i know when josh and his band they were originally slated to i think have a show in like iowa or something i think one of uh our listeners like we were like because he lives in washington I, I i don't remember exactly his name off the top of my head eddie eddie so eddie was like hey you know i you know i think we should do a road trip you know, go go see uh, Josh's band, and I was up for it. But then, you know, COVID. pandemic happened, and 
Yeah, dude, so we were so excited. We were so excited to do that fucking tour. I'm still so butthurt <laughs> about that. All right. So up yeah. next, we got Helen. Helen, our wonderful social media lady. I uh, appreciate everything you do for us, Helen. Hope y'all have a good recording session. And also, we need to start a GoFundMe for y'all to meet up, or is it better this way? Uh, also, Josh, promote your band and might give me a recommendation for a silly movie. Well, my band, who you probably already heard the commercial for in this podcast, if you're listening to, it's called Dancing with Ghosts. Um, check us out on Spotify. With, if you like Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, Foster the People, Birthday Massacre, Shiny Toy Guns, uh, I don't know. If you like any of that shit, then you might like our music. And then, Mike, you're supposed to recommend a silly, funny movie. Okay, so I don't know if you've seen either of these, but I'm going to give you two. Uh, and they're definitely pretty silly. Uh, the first one is uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, it's an incredibly violent movie in terms of like the blood and gore, but it's very silly, and I honestly think it's hilarious. Uh, some really good dark humor. And another uh, recommendation is a silly parody of all different kinds of things, uh, specifically a lot of like TV. And there's also like uh, some other film parodies thrown in there. Stay tuned with John Ritter. I think that's a really underrated, silly, fun comedy. That's very creative and, and doesn't really get enough credit. Like, I, for instance, there's that film Cabin in the Woods that everyone was talking about. So unique and original. Stay tuned. Did a lot of those things before Cabin in the Woods. There you go. Thank you guys for uh, asking us questions. We like we haven't we didn't do anything. Well, I mean, I think Jordan was asking like, is anyone dressing up as Robert Stack for Halloween? It's like I'm not. I'm, I'm probably not either. Doing nothing. For there goes Halloween. that one. <laughs> well, we're playing a show for Halloween, so that's pretty cool. Um, Are you going to dress up as your uh, characters again? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we we were planning on doing that. We used to dress up in face paint, and uh, I was kind of like a Baron Simity character, and Stephanie was like a succubus inspired by Oni uh, stuff, and she mm-hmm. kind of looked like a sexy demon. All right, moving on to the perks of being a Josh Flower. These are diaries that I wrote in on Zanga.com when I was uh, in my teens to early 20s, and I discovered them a while back and i've been reading through my old diaries i haven't read through these since i wrote them so uh some of you have been getting enjoyment out of my youthful pain and emo-ness um and anything i say on here is just how i was at the time so i apologize if there's anything that's politically incorrect in any of this stuff uh i probably don't think like that anymore depending on what it is so we last left off Monday, June 7th, 2010. And the title of this is Dead Memories in My Heart. After, Ooh. after the Slipknot song. Uh, speaking about emo, that's definitely up there. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So I guess the final stake in the heart came the other day when my ex-girlfriend told me she didn't want to talk to me anymore because I was friends with someone she didn't approve of. The reason she knew I was friends with this person was because she was creeping on my Facebook. The very same thing I was doing to her. Everything that we had is dead and gone. And what was left was a sad little plank floating in the ocean of what used to be a great ship. Oh my God. God. That's so corny. (laughs) I I thought I was so fucking clever with that line too. Oh shit. That is bad, man. (laughs) I know. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I apologize to the world for that one. Cringe. <laughs> I just have so much history with this girl. The painful part came when I saw a recent episode of John and Kate Plus Eight that used to be our show. <laughs> <laughs> she used to make. I'm sorry. Like our show is John and our Kate show Plus is John Eight. And Kate Pl- Dude, she used to make me watch all that bullshit on TLC. Man, that was such a garbage channel. Yes, it's funny that that TLC. I will take TLC any day of the week, despite the garbage reality shows over HGTV. Well, yeah, that's home and garden television. (laughs) But the funny thing is, TLC used to stand for the Learning Channel. I know, I know. Learn how to be a fucking mindless pleb, maybe. Anyway, it's more about learn about how idiotic people, the human race, is. Yeah, yeah. So I go on. She would force me to watch it every time it came on, and it kind of became our ritual to watch the show. Fuck. Oh, wait, no, I now, now, now that I, I know what I'm saying. She used to watch it every time it came on. It became our ritual to watch the show, fuck, then go outside to have a cigarette to talk about how, life and how crazy it is. I really miss those fucking talks. I don't know why I wrote it like that. I just think of the dim lit, lit uh, the dim lidded back patio at a younger time in my life. I was nineteen or twenty. Now I'm twenty one, almost twenty two. Oh my god, Josh, that was such a, a younger time in your life. <laughs> that was a year ago, almost two years ago. That was such an earlier time in your life, man. Uh, t- so j- I, it would be funny if you said I not. It's not that I missed the talks. I missed that show. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I miss John and Kate plus eight. Just two people in love trying to figure out life, bitching about it, hoping for future ideals, and dealing with the present. I really miss those times, but yet I don't. It's so fucking ridiculous how all we all look at the past with rose-colored glasses. Do you know why we as people do that? Because we knew what came next! Right now in my life, I am so fucking unsure of what's going to happen day to day. What will happen tomorrow? Who knows? I need a safety net, people. I'm not going to last forever. And I'm really holding on tightly to this feeling of, I want to live and I want to be happy. I'm such a fool for nostalgia. I will almost be brought to tears thinking about the past. I love the past. I love all my memories. Some memories I don't so much like, but when I look back, I know I end up making it out alive, and right now, I don't so much know that. That's interesting that it's it's uh, evolved. It, it's uh, that your inner monologue has shifted from, I hate the present, I hate my past, I hate it so much. It's totally flipped. Now I love the to, present, and like I'm not a huge fan of the, of of looking back and reminiscing. I know, but like it, it, it's it's gone it's gone full circle in that way because yeah. it seemed like a lot of the early diaries. You're like, I hate this. This sucks. You know, you're looking. Oh, and now yeah, the I know, future. I know, right? And now I'm like, it's oh, it was so great. You know, it's like bullshit, <laughs> dude. Go back like a go back a couple years ago in your diary, and you'll see just how much you fucking hated your life. What are you talking about? It's like I could just never be fucking happy. You know, as a young yeah. person. And even you were just talking about like, oh, well, there were some things that were bad. It's like no, no like everything back then, was. Bad. It was like I- <laughs> you fucking idiot. Everything was bad. Um. So. I am talking to a lot of my friends, and they are all in college, and they are all doing something that will progress into something great. What is Josh doing? 
The band? What about college? Eh, not so much. Are you at least making any money? Actually, it's a funny story. Me, because believe it or not, I'm in debt. Haha, <laughs> so I'm not even making money. I wish life had guarantees, but it doesn't. And was my time with Caroline that great? Yeah, sure, some moments were unforgettable. Some moments were fan-fucking-tastic. But a lot of moments really sucked. A lot of moments I, ang- I had anxiety for even going out with my friends because I knew how she was going to chew me out. But man, there is something about nostalgic memories of her that really bring me to my knees in a powerful way. I can really see how people find comfort in the idea of God in heaven. There is a lot of value in those ideas, but are they real? I don't know. I want to think so, and part of me believes it is. I do feel like humans are special beings unto themselves. Yes, we are similar to animals in many ways, but we are light years ahead of them in so many more ways, almost as though we were designed quote-unquote special. That's one of the biggest factors that leads me to believe there is a creator in the universe. Uh, Fuck this night sadness I always get. Tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to feel optimistic, rejuvenated, and ready to ready for the day. But there's always this weird sadness slash depression at night that is dangerous for me because then I start thinking about my ex and my life and my loneliness. That's kind of one of the benefits to drinking at night because you get tired and pass out happy. You totally get to bypass this existential sadness bullshit. Well, tomorrow is work. Then after that, probably just go home and work out, take a shower and BS on the computer, perhaps find someone to talk to. But at this moment in time, I'm broke as fuck. The worst thing about being broke is the gas thing. People send me invites to hang out with them, and I want to hang out with them. I feel like hanging out with them, but I can't hang out with them because I can't afford the fucking gas in my car or the alcohol, or the entrance fee, or whatever bullshit that is required wherever you go. Life is expensive. Well, I really need to try to go Did to you bed. you take the bus? <laughs> no, not in Jacksonville. Oh, that was a that non-thing. Um, that part where I said that's why I like alcohol, because you go to sleep happy and you skip alcohol the... Alcohol's a depressant. <laughs> you sk- it's a depressant in the sense that it's, it depresses the nervous system, meaning you feel better because your nerves aren't all wired up. It's not a depressant in the sense that it's a bottle of depression juice. Like, as soon as you drink it, you're like, oh, I'm well, sad it depends, now. it depends on the person. I think it depends on their mindset when R- they're drinking yeah, it. Yeah, of course. But th- when I said that, like, uh, that's still kind of my mentality to this day. Because if I do stay home and I don't Ooh. drink, um, I don't necessarily get sad, but I just get kind of lonely and, like... Yeah, I feel you on that. I was going to say skin. that when you're talking about night sadness, I'm like, that definitely touched a chord with me. Because there are a lot of, I don't drink, but I can see why some people might, you know, because it helps them cope with that. Yeah. Uh, You know, because there's a lot of, you know, you're alone, you know, you're alone with your thoughts, which is usually not good when that kind of stuff is going on. When you're just running these thoughts through your head about all these things that are going on in your life that aren't going the way that you would like or other sort of depression and then for me, it's like things. when I stay home, it's like I don't usually lay down for bed until about like five five a.m. So like that's a long I got a long time to yeah figure out what the fuck I'm gonna do with my night mm-hmm. if I'm not going out, you know. Uh, but yeah, so I'll read one last one and then we'll cut cut it off here. Um, night sadness sounds like a good album name for some kind of emo band, doesn't it? Night sadness. <laughs> Sounds like a um, like a Joe Jackson album or like one of those like guys <laughs> from the nineteen eighties that those, those. Oh my god! 
like uh, uh it's a breakup song it's like a pop electronic background yeah like i don't know i don't know i'm trying to think of like the perfect 80s <laughs> singer Night sadness <laughs> you actually kind of sound like him a little bit you should try to cover that yeah. song uh stepping out you should see if there's a karaoke version of that and see <laughs> We are young, but getting older all the time. And this is just to the other side. Anyway, I used to hear that song all the time at CVS. That's why I know who Joe Jackson is. All right. Um, the, the title of this entry for Wednesday, July 7th, 2010 is, Hmm, crazy. I am too, but I can thank my good upbringing. That's the title. Hmm. So, yeah, my best friend, the person I identified with the most in my life, the person I connected with, had a mental breakdown. Oh. Now, I know mental Mm. breakdowns can mean different things to different people and have many different connotations. But to me, a mental breakdown is you can't deal with your life anymore on your own and you either need medical attention or just lock yourself in a closet for a week. Either way, if this guy was the guy I identified with the most and saw myself in the saw myself in the most, it's kind of distur- a disturbing notion one way or another. Look, I know I'm fucked up in the head. All I have to do is talk to the general population to learn that. All I have to do is talk to my mom to know that. But then again, I think my mom humors me at a lot of times in my absurd thoughts. I am so narcissistic, it's not even funny. I have come to the conclusion, I fucking love me! And I don't mean that in a, I think I'm the hottest person who ever walked the earth or anything like that, but as in, I think my art is above everyone else's, and I think my thoughts are so much more mature and higher than everyone else's, and that I am different in a good Bill Gates sort of genius way. If Eggman was still listening to this podcast, he would be like, "Yes." <laughs> he would be so like like gratified right now. He's yeah. like, "I called it." <laughs> and then I have in parentheses in Josh's mind, nobody else has the thoughts that I have. Mine are so much higher above theirs. It's so fucking ridiculous. I'm just as fucking good as everyone else. That's why my logical brain, that's what my logical brain says. But my emotional brain says, dude, you are so fucking smart and so deep and so self-aware. But I know it's bullshit. I know it is. The function of that voice that tells me I'm awesome is for protection's sake. I had such shitty self-esteem growing up and was so unassuming that my mind had to create a persona that made me special. A normal kid gets his jimmies from being competitive and from dominating underlings. Since I, A, hated sports and B, knew I wouldn't be good at dominating anyone... In parentheses, I put because I'm a big pussy. I had to create something that I could feel comfortable with. For me, it was alienating myself from everyone around me and coming up with crazy personalities, personas, and thoughts that I would ev- I could eventually cultivate into who I was. I think this turned me into an art fag. So now, kind of trying to figure out who I am. This is what I know so far. One, I'm shy. I'm straight up shy. I'm not the extrovert I appear to be sometimes. Inside, I don't know the right words to say and the right dance to lure a captive audience. Two, I'm not hip. I don't know the latest buzzwords. Well, I don't- you used, used hip at this point in time. Yeah. 
So of course you're not hip. I don't know the latest buzzwords. I don't know the latest fashion. I don't know the latest girl who fucked the latest guy. I don't care. Most people do. Three. Or the latest TV show, latest social media networking tool, latest tech slang, latest Apple application. Heck, I don't even own an iPhone. I I love how I typed application instead of app because people weren't (laughs) using the word app quite yet. Uh, I don't know the latest thing to be ironic about. Dude, Phil Collins is so amazing, I put in parentheses. Latest MTV show, latest workout, latest UFC contender, latest pop single, latest dance, latest cunt that the dicks want to fuck, latest club, latest rapper, latest bleach blonde boy band knock knockoff fag, latest this, latest that, don't care, don't care, don't care. You hear me? I don't care. Number four, I'm a pussy, as mentioned above. I won't fight you. I won't challenge you in a competitive way, brag about myself in any way, or do anything that's remotely dangerous. I won't take a drug, do anything that might bring me some physical pain. Five, but what I will do is complain a lot, doubt people's intentions, assume the worst, judge people prematurely, although I am working on this one, talk shit about people behind their back because I'm too afraid to say it to their face, avoid any and every conflict, get awkward and uncomfortable when people start accusing me of things, The list could go on and on, but I know I'm good at listening to people, and I know I'm good at music, and I know I'm uh, good at music. I had to put this, I had to put this sentence in because I had to make myself feel better after bashing myself for the last, um, I would say, whole blog. And I will end on I'm kind of buzzed, and it's all because this is how we do it to it. Good shit. Tony Banks is a fucking man. (laughs) Phil Collins is a fucking man, and Mike Rutherford is a fucking man. And you are not them, so you ain't shit. Those are the guys from Genesis. Huh. So, yeah, that was... How uh, you do it to it. <laughs> I don't know what to do with all that. I I guess I... Like, I think some of it is actually really poignant. Yeah. But then some of it is, like, kind of bullshit. So, it, it's like this mix of, like, of really sincere thoughts... Like self, self awareness, you know, self awareness, and then a lot of like over exaggerated BS. Well, I think the point that I was trying to make in that post was that since I was so like neglected uh, in like the middle school and high school years, mm-hmm. um, I even in elementary school because I was so shy and I was so aw- awkward in it and didn't know really how to like start a proper conversation with strangers. I would just kind of like sequester myself off to the side and I would yeah. I would start like making up all these like great thoughts about myself, you know, to make myself feel good. Like, you know, oh, you know, you're not getting along with these kids because they're not on the level that you are intellectually. Yeah. So there's no way yeah, they that, can. That is that is dangerous. Yeah. So and... it's good that you've 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 had at this point in your life, you've noticed that. And it seems like because you're acknowledging that at this point. You're taking the steps to correct some of these yeah, totally. mindsets, some of these uh, creations in your head. and um, But I don't really agree with the idea that having thoughts about like how good you are about things is inherently negative. Because I do think there's a, there's a certain element of narcissism that everybody has. Yeah, This idea that we're not narcissistic in some way that's is ridiculous like there's a lot of uh everyone has moments where they think that they are the best or they're good or they're great at something 
Yeah, it was it was it was a social survival mechanism for me. But man, I was surprised yeah. that I was like even at that age, I was I was just like you know, yeah, you are a pussy. You're not gonna fight anyone. You're not gonna do shit. You know. But that was yeah. back when I like gave more fucks. Uh, now I don't. So I mean, if <laughs> not to try to sound like Billy Badass or anything, but you know, I'm not as meek and scared as I was back then. Oh yeah. So if somebody like yeah. really fucks with me, then. I'm not going to just take it, but you know, I'm going to avoid conflict at all costs. Cause I don't fucking like conflict. I never have. And, uh, I'm probably never will. And the people who do like conflict are fucking psychos. Not that you should like it or, or dislike professional it. Fighters. I think, I think <laughs> that's probably like the healthy thing is to like, not be afraid of conflict. Yes. Like not be obsessed with conflict, right. not to make like conflict something that becomes a necessary part of your life. Right. So, all right, uh, I need to wrap this podcast up. I got places to be, people to see, babies to kiss. Um, if it's you got to do it to it. <laughs> if you want to join our Patreon and get the podcast early, uh, you won't be getting it early this week, but you'll usually get it early. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, you'll get the podcast early, and then for uh, $5 a month, you can... Uh, suggest cases for us to cover and we will 100 percent cover them um that's uh, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries and if you want to see more of me and mike but you want a little bit of a separate flair you don't want to you don't want to see us you don't want us to be so together and maybe you want to see our faces and see what we look like well we have youtube channels where we both are very consistent with the content we post on there Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. Once again, that's youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. He likes the cinema. Mike, what was the last video you did? Last video I did was my thoughts on uh, the uh, alternate uh, director's cut of Superman 2, which is called the Richard Donner cut uh, that was edited in 2006. So it's one of those like interesting experiments. Like it's supposed to be close to what his original idea or vision of the sequel would have been, but because it's like from 2006, there's some really dated, awful CGI, and there's a lot of editing that is very 2006. So you have like a film that features footage that was shot in 1979 or 1980, and then you have like mid 2000s editing. I, I I don't really care for the Donner cut. I know it gets a lot of praise. I personally don't understand why, but that's just me personally. Um, I also did my first ever audio commentary. It's more of a ranting commentary. That's your bag, your kind of thing. Uh, I did it on the Robocop remake, which I absolutely despise. <laughs> Are you talking and, about the one where uh, the, uh, the it's like a reboot or whatever? Yep. Yeah, from 2014. Robocock. Yep, Robocock. No, the only and... scene, the only, I actually watched that movie. Uh, the only scene that I liked in it was when they like pulled his body completely apart and showed him that yeah, he Yeah, but was... even that scene was stupid because the the fucking hand. Like, why is there a human hand? That Why is there one hand? <laughs> you oh, just yeah. ruined it. I forgot about that part. I don't know. Maybe, they, maybe it was some kind of biomechanical hand. It wasn't. It was just a hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What is that? His masturbating hand? Is, is that, it, is that, is, didn't you take big umbrage with the uh, Uriah Heap song that he used in the fighting sequence? Oh yeah, yodel that was lady, awful. Lady. 
<laughs> it was ridiculous. It didn't. It, it, the song's not bad. Not not on, on its right own. It's, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's a good song on its own. My dad used to listen to that song when I was growing up. So when I heard it in the movie, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Who was a, a hidden Uriah Heap fanboy on the set of and this then you movie? Have the Wizard of Oz music too. If I only had a heart. And then the film ends with I fought the law and the law won. It's like. Isn't that the wrong kind of song for your RoboCop remake? Wouldn't yeah. that be something you would throw in there if he lost? <laughs> it was like some dark crime drama, you know, about somebody who fought the law and then got screwed over. Then it would make sense that he would have I fought the law and the law won. But not here. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't understand moves like that because they say, oh, it'll bring in a new age. It'll bring in a new audience. Dude, when I was, uh, when I was like, six or seven years old i was shown the original robocop it probably came out 10 years before that and i still loved it just because a movie's old doesn't mean someone who's young nowadays is automatically gonna hate it because it's old that's so stupid as as long as the movie is from like at least like you know i would say like the 70s and 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 above you know Mm -hmm. kids are can are still gonna like it I mean, there's some kids out there who are really lofty and they're able to watch old, old movies and still derive a lot of joy out of it. Because at the end of the yeah. day, if it's a good story and the effects are practical enough, you know, they may not have to be the most, the best, you know, CGI in the world. But if, if it looks good and it's well done, it's a good fucking story. It's a good movie, you know? Exactly. And it's not like, it's not like between the 1980s and now they talk so completely differently i mean because i think that's the problem with a lot of movies from like the 40s and 50s yeah and, they, and the and the acting styles yeah and there's is, is it it's less naturalistic so it's very uh i'm trying to think of the right word very exaggerated the acting is very exaggerated because yeah, it's and, it's closer to stage acting Oh, what are you what are you saying? So, supposing i do go fly over the atlantic what are you going to do about that huh what do you say about that supposing i do oh Henry, you stop with that talk. Oh, I might stop with it. I might not. I might slap you in the face. How about that? You know, doing that whole like, yeah. and and like those those older older movies. There's because the the attention spans were like so much greater back then. Like there's so much emphasis on dialogue between two people for yes. long periods of time, and like you know the action is kind of like more few and far between, and it's not really paced to a modern audience's attention span. Uh-huh. I think in the 80s is when they really got that more, that quick. That's why I've always felt like a Back to the Future remake would be pointless and stupid. Because it, it, there's no reason to remake that film. Everything still holds up. It's still a really great story with great characters. And since it's so time-based, so what are you going yeah. back? Instead of going back to, like, the... what are going to go back to the 80s? Yeah, you're going to go back <laughs> to the 80s, you know? And, and then what time are you going to jump forward to, like... 2090 and then what kind of crazy yeah. things are you gonna have then you know i don't know it's just crazy that would be you know it'd be really weird is if they remade it and it was set in 1984 or what or whatever and they went 1985 back, yeah and they went back like they they kept the times the exact same as they did in the original movie but just like with new actors and like better like i wouldn't be surprised if they did that really that would be so stupid now we're gonna go to the year 2009 <laughs> way into the future <laughs> it'd be pointless 
Uh, all right, but yeah, that's Mike's channel. If you want to check out my YouTube channel, it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Once again, that is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um, I do music related videos, video game related videos, little documentaries. You can find my band's music videos on there. The last video I did was um, actually Mike gave me. I I already had the idea to kind of talk about, but I like then I thought, no, I'm not going to do it because, you know, they're just. So Angry Video Game Nerd, for anyone who knows who that is, he's like this big... James Rolfe. He's kind of this e-celeb. He's make these YouTube videos and he's critiquing old video games. He's kind of the reason why I got into making YouTube videos. And what's interesting is James, you know, there was a new Angry Video Game Nerd video that was uploaded Yeah, today. I saw a Commodore 64. It felt... It, actually, it's not that bad. It had, it had a lot game, more... So... It had a lot more of that classic nerd feel. Yes. He took out a lot of that bullshit that he's been adding in there recently. It was more classic, no frills, just his personality, which yeah, I Yeah, I think it was one of his better you know, nerd episodes in a while, but I think he's actually been on a bit of a roll in terms of the nerd episodes. Yeah. Because I liked but the, it's the Rocketeer. The... I liked the last one he did on Green Dog or whatever, but... It's the Rex Viper shit that's just. Well, it's just all the extra shit he does in general me. with this, these goons from Screenwave the Media. Podcast. Yeah, it's like these two, like these just just nobodies. Like who who are you? Why do I care? And like he started this band. It's like this. They do like video game music. They play it on live instruments, which is not a novel concept at all. And then they mash it up with 80s songs, which is kind of novel. So you have video game music mashed up with like 80s like songs, usually off of like soundtracks to like the top movies of the day in the 80s, like Top Gun and Rocky and shit. Um, but it's just so cringy and, and, and corny and they, they just... I mean... And Justin. Yeah, and Justin. <laughs> I really tried my hardest to like avoid people being like, "Oh, you're fat shaming him" or whatever, but it's not this it's I don't it's not the fact uh, that he's extremely morbidly obese. It's the fact that he just looks like a slob. He includes himself in everything like that desperate like kid who wants to hang out with the mm-hmm. cool kids but doesn't actually he isn't actually bringing anything of value to the table. He's an executive producer, I think. Uh, on uh, he's a producer on Cinemassacre now. He's got like, he's be- got his fingers so deep in Cinemassacre right now that he's a producer. He's got to be and that like scares me. He's got to be he's got to be bankrolling it in some way. He's got to be doing something to where it takes some of the stress off of James so he can spend more time with his family. Like, that's yeah. got to be the only reason this guy's involved. Because if this was back in the day, James would have told, told that guy to get lost. Because um, he was very much into doing everything on his own. Well, what What do you think if, if he's groomed to be the next angry video game nerd? Dude. Like, that would be the true death of, no of that channel. There's no fucking way James is, is dim enough to <laughs> not read the comments on anything that Justin's involved with to know how much he is hated. I mean, Mike Matei got a lot of hate, but fans eventually grew to, even though he had his moments, in general, he that was James's friend that he met in college. It was a it was an organic friendship. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't some crony. I don't even know, I don't even know if Justin is actually James's friend. Or no, probably not. I mean, they, they probably like you know they they make it look that way on camera, but I mean you know I don't know like. 
I mean, I never cared for rental reviews to begin with, which is the big reason why they started to become more and more a part of Cinemassacre. I mean, it was like it was like James talking about his experiences, which is the only reason people are there for was like 30% of the video and the other 60% was these other goons that I don't I could give two shit. Who are you guys? Why do I care? Who are you? I mean, it's not like it's Doug Walker and James Rolfe to going back and forth where people actually like, oh, that's the nostalgia critic. I care about what he has to say. You know, it's like these are literally randos off the street who, you know, look like they Justin's a failed former YouTuber who tried to have a YouTube channel and tried to be a big YouTube personality. And well, he became he became a big person. But like not (laughs) not personality, unfortunately. And what's up with this fucking fetish for Gengar, man? Gang, 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 gang. (laughs) I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's weird. He. I don't know. He has a whole collection of Gengar stuffed animals. He gives me hardcore. I hate like. I'm just saying this as a joke, but he gives me hardcore pedo vibes. Like yeah, if you've seen some of the photos of him. With his Gengar collection, like he totally, and he seems- was actually a friend of a convicted of, of an actual, you know, pedophile guy who had child porn. Yeah, like just dudes like that. Just in general, they 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 tend to not like women their own age. They tend to like be in this like this perpetual infantilization of, uh like teenage girls and and that that cute yeah like the whole like anime kind of thing and i you know word salad right now is coming out of my mouth but anyway i i don't know he just gives off all the wrong vibes and i just i don't like the guy so basically i'm with you on that i made a a lot of other people (laughs) i and i didn't realize i I thought i was the only one i i didn't realize so many other people like just found this guy so fucking annoying as i did um, so basically, I, I do a video where I'm I'm basically breaking down this band and saying like why I feel they're so cringy. And then a lot of people have also, mainly more so than Justin, they're commenting on like the mixes of the songs, yeah. like sonically. And I kind of break down what I feel. I thought you did a really good job with that breaking it down because you have a, a lot of experience with that. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can actually be a authentic source to criticize. Yeah, like I feel that. I feel confident when I criticize any music based thing because i know what i'm actually talking about um and uh i've noticed that too the vocals like at some of those are just like you're in the wrong pitch man you can't you can't do it it sounds like you're imitating somebody else yeah and i would say like he like you can tell the guy probably has some natural singing talent but like he he is he, he that is a good point it does sound like he's trying to imitate some uh some kind of 80s, 80s vo- power, power yeah. vocalist instead of just being yeah. him, sounding like himself. And that's why his voice sounds so strained in a lot of uh, the the songs. Yeah. is because he's just he's trying to imitate someone's voice while also not being in the right key. Like the most recent one, the, the uh, Eye of the Tiger parody with Tiger Electronics is like one of the worst offenders for that for me. To me, there was the Mighty Winds and Hadoukens when he goes to That hit, one was pretty bad, too, because I, I know, and it just was yes. so flat. And I'm like, dude, how yes. do you guys not hear that? Like, how do you guys not hear that? I mean, you can easily, in any kind of auto-tune program, you can take that bum note and just bump yeah. it up one half step, and boom, it's fixed. And you can yeah. never tell. You can't even tell that it's auto-tuned. 
Like they could have done that. It's a studio performance. You can get away with yeah. doing that. You know, like I, I can't even imagine what kind of train wreck Rex Viper is going to be live. Because they're talking about doing a live show at like a video game, uh, um, what expo or something like that. I'd be interested in seeing it live because if I don't, if if Justin isn't involved, which you know he probably will be. Oh, he will. Um, I think it could be a fun. <laughs> thing to see live but like yeah. just don't make me watch the fucking video i i think once they're not in front of the camera and they and they don't have to act anymore and they, they can- should have just like created their own channel and uploaded rex viper stuff over there because they need to have people who like rex viper Dude, who like they would have like, missed out maybe after after like the first song they would have missed out on so many views though if they had done that well, look at what their views are right now for some of their Rex Viper songs. There's like 90,000 views better, at one point. Better than they would have been if they had started their own channel. I can guarantee you that. People have told me not in the past... They market it, not if they marketed it properly. People have told me in the past, that like, you know, you, you should upload Dancing with Ghost music onto its own channel and then now, yeah. have your videos <laughs> on... Your, your commentary videos be a, a separate thing. And I thought about that, but like... My band is and, and music is such a big part of my life, and I'm almost at seven thousand subscribers. If I started a whole new channel for Dancing with Ghost music at this point, it just wouldn't get the visibility, and I wouldn't it, like the algorithms potentially wouldn't pick it up nearly as easily. So it, it is a good idea, but it just doesn't, from a business standpoint, make sense for me to do that right now. And I mean, if in, unless you're a complete idiot. I mean, it's not too fucking hard to navigate. Like, I think the second tab on my channel is Dance with Ghost, my original music. You know, so it's like... Yeah, yeah. And I've seen other bands who are bigger who have, like, their official channel and they have their music, but they also have these, you know, funny little sketches or little skits that they or do. they do vlogs. All- they yeah. have, like, a vlog channel. Yeah, yeah. And, but it'll be on the same channel as their music, too. I've seen that, you know, I mean... Well, I've seen... A, it, it depends on how big you are. Because I've seen a lot of people who have like all other channels, so they have their main channel and then they have their vlog channel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm Ethan Klein, then I can do it. I can have like ten different what channels. What the fuck happened to that guy, man? That's so. That's so sad. Fucking fat and lazy, man. He got older, and it's so much. Well, easier. he just became everything that he was railing against. Yep. That's what makes it, it's like what happened with MTV. Yep. You know, where in the MTV in the 90s was like this counterculture, you know, politically incorrect, you know, in your face. We don't give a fuck. And then MTV now is like pussied, just total pus- total pussified, wussy, politically correct garbage. Like everything that MTV of the past would have roasted people for. Well, the punk rock of like, you know, fuck you, you know, don't tell me what to do and all that. That is that ethos has shifted to the right politically. And the speaking speaking of the punk rock thing, did you ever see that documentary about, I think, like punk rockers as adults uh, with like families and uh -uh. shit? That sounds interesting. Yeah, there's an actual yeah, there's an actual documentary. I forgot exactly. I forgot what the name of it is, but I saw it on dvd at a thrift shop and and i thought i thought of you because it's like these punk rockers you know who were like the antithesis of like counterculture and now they're like old 
and with kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you get to a certain yeah. point where you're young and idealistic and then, you, you know, the, the, the machine beats you down and yeah. like Ethan, you know, he's what, in his mid to late 30s. He's got a kid. He's got bills to pay. The podcast is 100 times easier to produce, gets a lot of views. But it's not just the podcast. It's just how how his uh, whole mindset and like what he believes in had, has has shifted. Well, That's back, what makes in, the, it back so... in the day, he was like he was like passionate and and, yeah. and like calling people out on bullshit. And now he's just become this very laid back, smug, uh, you know, just self satisfied kind of person. Yeah. You know, it's sad. Yeah. I don't care enough to have an opinion about him one way or another. Uh, I feel you on that, but it's just sad in terms of like, you know, how how much he was at the forefront of that counterculture thing that was going on on YouTube at the time. I've never been into a YouTuber long enough to like watch their downfall and be like, oh, there was a time when they were better and now like they suck. Like I've never really... I haven't I haven't consumed YouTube content as as long as you have so like yeah I wasn't I, I get I get I get yeah you know so like I'm sure there will come a what's day what's your music equivalent of that oh shit <laughs> almost every band that I like <laughs> oh, <laughs> serious uh fucking Smashing Pumpkins uh their new stuff uh-huh. isn't very good at all um fucking Rush it last few Rush albums that they put out weren't very good to me at all um did they definitely sound blink, rushed blink 182 <laughs> oh god i'm gonna ignore that dad joke blink 182's <laughs> last two albums have been garbage um i mean <sighs> it's harder for me to think of a band that has remained rammstein is the only band i can think of that has con- that i lo- really like that has consistently kicked ass mm-hmm. from when I first started listening to them in 2000 until now, every album that they've put out has been a banger in my mind. Like they have not, they have. But the closest I could think to something like that was Scorpions. Like they, they had like their early stuff. Like isn't I don't really like a lot of their early albums. Like it's not aged well. No, but like as they got further on into the 2000s, like the Humanity album and and some of their other stuff, it still was pretty good for me at least in terms of pretty consistent in terms of what i what i want and what i like from from scorpions so i i would say like they didn't really stray away too far and they they went through some changes too because there were some i think issues or somebody left the band or they had to replace somebody klaus (laughs) minor no he was still the lead singer for for throughout all of it so I never really had a moment where I was like, oh, the lead singer leaves. Like, they had a, a different lead singer initially. He was nowhere near as good if, if you, as I love when you listen to Scorpions. Like, if you listen to a song like Still Loving You, if you listen close enough, you can totally hear his German accent. He's like, Bright yes. Bildual, so strong, yeah. I can't get through. Yeah. I, I cannot imitate Klaus because of his German accent. All right, this is becoming a, a, long, a long daddy, so uh, I'm going to cut her off, <laughs> shut her down, ship her up, ship her out, pack her up, send her out. Come on, let's get it, let's get her packed up. All right, Wrap guys. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Um, until next time, we will talk to you later. Have a good rest of your night, and bye. See ya.